you open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter? We finished uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 last week, and we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 4 this week. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Uh, once again, you'll, you'll remember that 1 Peter is divided into three big sections, marked off by this word beloved. So you had that in chapter 2, and you're about to have this in chapter 4, verse 12. And so verses 1 through 11 of chapter 4 are the last little chunk of the, the middle section of um, 1 Peter, Peter's letter to the epistle. First, Peter's first epistle. <laughs> so he's tying up loose ends, he's bringing everything together, and he is he's summarizing what's gone before and, and giving the, his final thrust in this section. So let's pray, and we'll turn to the text. Father, by your mercy, you've brought us into your presence. You've called a people into yourself. And Father, you have called your people under the authority of your word. And so, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, would you open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear what you have to say to us? Would you allow these truths to penetrate our hearts and to change our hearts? That our hearts would no longer be hearts of stone, but hearts of flesh, beating and alive in your presence. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1. This is God's word. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever. Amen. Friends, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Now, I don't care about Taylor Swift very much. Um, that's not a, an indictment of Taylor Swift. That's not good or bad. It's just to say that I, I don't have a strong opinion on her or her music. What Taylor Swift does in her life has little to no impact on what I do in my life day to day. But, but lately, and maybe you've had this experience too, whenever I read the news, Taylor Swift is, is going to pop up at some point. Um, she just finished this big tour, she just released a movie, and, and these things have been big enough that they've had an impact on our economy. And so, um, and she's actually become a billionaire from these, 
um, tours and movies. So, so national news outlets can't help but write about her because she's such a big deal in our, our culture today. Uh, Christian media has not been immune. A, a few weeks ago, the Gospel Coalition, which some of you may be familiar with, published an article entitled, Seven Things Christians Can Learn from Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. That article uh, was swiftly taken down after negative reaction, and it included several comments that were unbecoming of a Christian. In particular, it spoke to Taylor Swift in ways that should only be reserved for God. So here's, here's just one quote to give you a sense. Many Swifties, that is, that's Taylor Swift fans, many Swifties marvel at the profound feeling of belonging they experienced, gathering with countless others who shared the same object of admiration. This sweet connection transcends cultural background, socioeconomic status, personality, age, and era. Through one person, many are brought together. And he's quoting Ephesians 2 right there. This is, by the way, a middle-aged man. Now, I'm bringing this up because I want to clue you into an important reality. Idolatry is our, great and, it's our greatest and first sin. John Calvin, you've probably heard this quote before, reminds us that the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. I think you see this most clearly in Romans 1. Paul describes the descent of man into sinfulness. And what, that, what does that begin with with the manufacture of idols? He says, they have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped the creature rather than the creator. Now, Christians are not immune to this. Throughout the history of Israel, for example, it's not as if worship of the one true God was, was completely thrown out. No, they worshiped God. They just worshiped God alongside the idols of the nations. In medieval Christianity, they still worshiped God, but they worshiped God alongside saints and angels. Today, I think we do even worse. Too many Christians worship God, but alongside the worship of God, they worship celebrities, politicians, and our own desires. The common denominator among all of these things is that the prevailing culture is what's beckoning us to join in. And our temptation is always to buy those lies. And so we, we say things like, you know, I can dabble with just a little bit of New Age philosophy, some Buddhism, some Hinduism, as long as I put a Christian spin on it. I, I can dabble with a little sexual immorality on TV and some of the things that I consume, as long as I do my daily devotions. I can dabble in a little coarse joking, a little foul language, as long as I don't do it at church. That may very well be you, carried on by the winds of culture, instead of being firmly rooted in the worship of the one true God. Well, this is the situation that Peter's audience finds themselves in. We talked extensively, you'll remember, about the fact that the church is an exile people, exiled among the nations. And so we live in this tension between the ways of the times and the places that we live in and the timeless ways of heaven. But the fact that we're foreigners here does not mean that we're free from worldly temptations. We still live in the world. We still interact with the world. So the question we need to answer is how do we handle this? Well, look at verse 1. It says, since Christ therefore suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh. No longer for human passions, but for the will of God. 
Now, notice what the imperative, what the command is here. Peter says to arm yourselves with Christ's way of thinking or with uh, literally Christ's mindset. Well, what is this mindset? That I'm going to suffer in the flesh. If you think back to last week, you'll remember that Peter makes this strong distinction between flesh and spirit. He tells us that Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And this is the frame of mind that he's calling us to. We're called to put on a suffering mindset, like we're picking up a weapon to defend ourselves. The suffering mindset of Christ is what's actually going to protect us from the ways of the world. How does that work? Well, Peter locates sin in the flesh. That's where our sin comes from. We receive our fleshliness from Adam. We talked about that a little bit this morning at Sunday school. Whose, whose sin is imputed to us. His sin is passed on to us. On the other hand, the spirit that we're talking about is the Holy Spirit of God. The spirit is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. And so there's this tension. We're still under the power of the flesh. We still live in fleshly bodies. We still have fleshly desires. We also live under the power of the spirit who renews us, who redeems us, and makes us holy. So this is an analogy I've used many times before, but you might think of it like a car whose tires are out of line. Many of you have probably driven a car with this problem. You know what that's like. When your tires are out of line, your car doesn't steer well. It's harder to drive. And it puts wear on your tires and your car. But there's a solution. The solution is to put those tires back into line. So as Christians, we, we live with that kind of tension. The flesh pulls one direction, and the spirit pulls the other direction. And what we're called to do is get our flesh in line with the spirit. That's what it means to cease from sin. It's not just stopping some bad things that you're doing. It's, it's getting in line with the Spirit's call and with the Spirit's leading. That's the key thing to understand. Because, because you are human, you have human desires, you have human lusts, but Peter tells us that the time for those things is past. They don't control you anymore. Instead, it's the will of God that controls you. So we need to put, to, put the flesh to death and cling to the life offered by the Spirit. But Peter doesn't stop there. He takes this overarching principle and he elaborates. He tells us two ways to live. He gives us two pathways. He says, first, we're called to suffer in the flesh. And second, we're called to glorify God in the spirit. We're called to suffer in the flesh. We're called to glorify God in the spirit. Look at verse three. For the time that is past... The time in the past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. But they will give accounts to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So Peter starts here by giving us this list of what the Gentiles want to do, what the Gentiles' lusts are, what the Gentiles' desires are. By the way, when he's talking about Gentiles in this, in this book, he's talking about the pagan nations, the unbelieving nations around them. This corresponds with what we saw in verse 2, the desires of man as compared to the will of God. These are the things that are the desires of man. These are the things that the Gentiles want to do. 
Now, I could spend hours unpacking what each of these items on this list entails, but I want to back up before we do that and get a sense of the big picture. Because what Peter is describing here is a pagan festival. Pagans don't worship like we do. Right? We have orderly worship. We have worship um, that, is, that is holy and pure. But pagan worship, especially in the first century is what we're talking about, is a flood of debauchery. In the first century, for example, around this time of year, when you have the harvest coming in, you would give thanks to the harvest god by throwing a big lascivious party that included all of these things. Excess is the way that you worship God. Licentiousness is the way that you worship God according to the pagans. Now, we can trick ourselves into thinking that our culture isn't pagan. But I don't think that's true, and I think that you probably do too. We have uh, these celebrity award shows that have all the same characteristics. And recently, these things have been devolving to more and more pagan idolatries. You might remember the Grammys, the most recent Grammys, that had a performance with satanic motifs. Maybe if we wanted to come a little closer to home, think about what happens on SEC college campuses in the fall. We have this little feast of booths. We set up tents, we gather around this temple, we drink and carouse before the. We have this religious experience in, in the stadium singing and, and praising these people who are running out. Now, I'm not saying that award shows, I'm not saying that football games are bad in themselves, but I think we need to have a little bit of self-awareness about these things. How many Christians sing louder and sing with more gusto at a Taylor Swift concert or a football game than they do in church? And, and don't get me started on these political rallies and, the, and maybe even opening weekend of hunting season. You see, today... Even today, we worship pagan gods. We, we may not use their names, but we, we still worship Ares and Bacchus and Gaia and Moloch. All these pagan gods, they hide behind materialism, behind secularism, but they still exist. We still worship them. But we're called to flee from this flood of debauchery and idolatry. Again, I'm not saying that those things are inherently bad. You can go hunting. You can vote. You can go to a football game. We need to be careful not to be caught up in the same flood of debauchery that goes on in these places. But don't don't miss what happens when you don't act like the world, when you don't get caught up in this flood. Peter says they will malign you. First, they'll tell you that you're missing out on a blessing. You're going to miss out on that big deer. You're going to miss out on the high five from your favorite athlete. But when that doesn't work, they'll turn on you. They'll call you self-righteous. They'll call you holier than thou. They'll make fun of you for being a religious freak. And here's, here's your call. Don't fall for that. Don't fall for it. Because here's the point. Judgment is coming. Jesus Christ will come again to judge the quick and the dead. And how do you want to be judged? If you embrace the world's way of life, if you join in their flood of debauchery, you will be judged according to the flesh. But if you're in Christ, you've been given the gift of the Spirit. You don't have to be judged according to your own flesh. You can be judged according to Jesus Christ's flesh. You can be judged on the basis of his perfect righteousness. You see, idolatry only ever strengthens your flesh. When we turn our hearts away from God, it strengthens the sin and temptation in our lives. But you are called 
by the Holy Spirit to put your fleshly desires to death. You are called to live not by those things, but by the will of God. The time for those things has passed. It's filled up already. You don't have to live like that anymore. You can turn to Christ, and he'll forgive you, and he can change you to follow the will of God. So we're called to suffer according to the flesh, put to death the flesh. Second, we're called to glorify God in the Spirit. Look at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, every, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter continues contrasting the way the Gentiles live with the way the church is called to live. You probably noticed that just as he gave a list of idolatrous vices in the first section, he now gives a list of godly virtues in this section. But I don't want you to miss how this is framed. Verse 7 begins with the phrase, the end of all things is at hand. Or the end of all things is near. It approaches. Now, you're probably thinking about Jesus' second coming there, and you'll be right. Peter has just been talking about the final judgment in verse 5 and 6. And this is building off of that. But we're not just talking about the end in terms of time. Jesus' Jesus' return does signal the end of time, at least as we know it. But it goes deeper than that. When we talk about the end of something, we can think of it from, from several different angles. It may refer to time, or it may refer to space, like when we talk about the ends of the earth. But it can also refer to the purpose, or the goal, or the aim of something. You already know this if you know the question and answer, shorter catechism question and answer one. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, interestingly, if you look at verse 11, what do you see? Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Verse 11, in order that everything, that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So these two things, the fact that the end is coming and the purpose of God's glory, they bookend the list of commandments in the middle. The end, the purpose, the goal of our obedience is God's glory in Jesus Christ. So what does Peter say glorifies God? Let's look at that. And I would encourage you, uh, maybe you want to do a little inventory of this in your own life. And if you have a pen, maybe you can score yourself on these areas. Also, pay attention to how each command has a qualification attached. So first, Peter calls us to be self-controlled and sober-minded in prayer. Both of these these things, self-control and soberness, have to do with the mind. And Peter specifically applies them to the way we pray. We're called to be alert and focused. We're called to pray as if a battle is coming. It's it's this idea of like a watchman on a tower. We're called to pray for a battle, a coming battle, because a battle is coming. In fact, the battle with the flesh is currently raging even now. And so we need to be watchful prayers. When temptation comes, 
the first place we ought to turn is prayer. We ought to be turning to the Spirit. When suffering comes, we ought to turn to God in prayer. Just as watchmen on a tower, when the enemy is coming, they, they let the king know. We do the same thing. That's part of what it means to have the mind of Christ. Christ who prayed in Gethsemane and who prayed on the cross and who relied on the sustenance of the Spirit in his death and his suffering. You do the same thing. And so are you mentally engaged in prayer? Are you watchful in prayer? Second, Peter calls us to love one another. And he quotes Proverbs saying, love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, the measure of your love for one another is your forgiveness. If you hold grudges, if you refuse to accept the repentance of your neighbor, especially of your fellow Christian, you demonstrate a lack of love for them and for the church. The church should be a place where second chances, where mercy, where grace abounds abundantly. Where sins are forgiven, where sins are forgotten and separated, sin away. That's how Christ deals with us. He doesn't hold grudges. He, he doesn't hold our sin over our head. He separates it from us and sends it away. And that's how we know that he loves us, because he forgives us. So do you demonstrate your love and forgiveness? How are you doing on that? Third, Peter calls us to show hospitality to one another without complaining. Now this includes, but it's not limited to, inviting people into your homes, especially those in need. Now hospitality is really hard because it comes at great personal cost. In fact, it's probably the hardest thing on this list. But Peter reminds us to be hospitable without complaint. Now, on this particular point, I want to give this church a commendation. Over the past few months since I've been here, I've seen many of you do this very thing. And I want you to know that that doesn't go unnoticed. But I also want to encourage you to continue that. And I want to exhort you to guard your heart in that. Don't let your service and love of others, your hospitality toward others, become perfunctory, become mechanical. Keep your heart in it. Keep your heart pure. And be free from complaint and worry as you do that. So the question to ponder is, are you growing in hospitality and offering love and service to those who are strangers? Fourth and finally, Peter calls us to use our gifts in service of the church. Why? Because those gifts come from God. That's, this is a worn out saying, but it's worn out because it's true. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. When you use your gifts in service of the church, you are a vessel for God's grace. You are a vessel for God's love, a vessel for God's mercy. When you share the gifts that God has given you, you are sharing God himself with the people that you serve because he is your source. He's the source of your strength. So what are your gifts? Where can you serve? Where does your church need you? And are you using those gifts? Are you meeting those needs? Just a word of, of very practical advice. When, when, I, when we were in Starkville, I often dealt with college men who were struggling with how to get involved in, in a church. They'd you know, been in church for many of them for their entire lives, and they had a lot of responsibility as teenagers. This was especially common among those who felt they had ministry gifts and wanted to pursue that. They wanted to know, how, how do I get involved in this church? And here's, here's what I always told them. Just do something. Do anything. Now, 
Most of the time, the, the anything that you're going to do, the something that you're going to do, is not glamorous. You know, the floors need to be swept. The, the trash needs to be taken out. The bulletins need to be picked up after worship. But if, if you're willing to serve wherever God calls you, wherever there's a need that needs to be met, then I'm confident that God will place you in a situation where your gifts are actually used. You see, a lot of times we come to God thinking, God, I have these gifts, and I want you to put me where I want to be so that I can exercise my gifts. But what we need to do is first come to God and say, God, I'm willing to serve. Put me where you want me to be. And in that way, I I think that he'll actually turn us around and, and, and use those opportunities to develop our gifts. So how are you doing? What Peter has given us is a really simple list. But it's a simple list that requires much of us. So which of these areas are you struggling in? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? If you're struggling in one of these ways, come talk to me about it. And we can consider ways for you to grow. We can put together a plan for your discipleship. And even if you're doing pretty well in all of these areas, you still have room to grow. So think about how you can take the next step in faithfulness for God's glory. Because this is what it looks like to live in the spirit and to put to death in the flesh. This is what it looks like to live for God's glory. So in the end, Peter gives two ways of life. One is the way of death. Maybe fun for a moment, but judgment will catch up. And ultimately, it doesn't even bring us temporary joy, much less lasting joy. Psalm 135 reminds us this. If you worship idols, if you pursue other gods, you become like those other gods. We are what we worship. Psalm 135 says these idols, they have eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear, mouths but do not speak. So to follow in the ways of the world, to follow false gods, makes us impotent, unable to do any good, broken vessels. But God calls us to a higher way. If we focus on his glory, if we put on the mind of Christ and suffer for what is good, we will have lasting joy. Not only that, but we will become vessels for mercy. No longer will we be useless and blind and deaf. No, he gives us ears to hear, eyes to see, and mouths to proclaim his glory. Worship of the one true God gives us an eternal purpose. Worship of the one true God makes our meager efforts, our sinful, broken efforts at obedience, it makes those efforts significant into eternity. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever.